So, this morning, we are looking at another resurrection story, this time from uh, Luke's telling of the Jesus story. Uh, and uh, so we're looking at Luke 24, 13 through 35, and this is this little event happens on the afternoon of the day of the resurrection. Uh, so uh, the tomb is empty, some women had gone to the tomb, and they find it empty, and some angels uh, say that, uh, Jesus is alive, and it's quite chaotic, and then uh, this little story happens. So Luke 24, 13 through 35, you'll see the words uh, over here. Before we read, again, let's pray. Uh, God, again, we're just grateful to be able to gather in this way, uh, to, to, to open this book and to uh, listen to your word. And we pray that you would, that you would open us up that we would hear a word from you and somehow, again, however it is this whole thing works, uh, you show up and we hear your voice. And so speak to us, change us, mold us, uh, make us into the kind of people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 24, 13 through 35, this is how the story goes. Now... That same day, two of them who were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood there, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in the last few days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. And then Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. We'll go that far. So good and so weird, right? Appropriate in these weird times to read a weird story like this, isn't it? I mean, here are two followers of Jesus who, who presumably knew him quite well, enough to, enough to hope that he would be the one who would redeem all of Israel, right? And here's Jesus walking along with them, and they don't recognize that it's him. And they only recognize him when he breaks bread. And it's such a weird story. Now, here's the deal. One of the best ways for us to enter into a story like this one uh, is to just sort of simply retell it. Uh, we retell it with as much detail as we possibly can while also using our imaginations to sort of, it's okay to use your imagination when you're reading the Bible, by the way, use your imagination to sort of fill in the gaps, the holes that the writer has intentionally sort of left there for you. I'll get to a couple of those gaps in a little bit, but like have a conversation with the story. Almost treat it as if it's alive. Ask it all sorts of questions and then try your best to answer those questions. Like what are the people in the story feeling? What are they thinking? What do they see or not see? What do they hear or not hear? Are they looking for something? Are they searching for something? Do they have all the information that they need? How do they evolve, change, or how are they transformed as the story moves from the beginning to its end? And how does that transformation happen, even if it happens? Right? So we retell the biblical story, and when we do it like that, sometimes it seems that things that are, that are hidden just underneath the surface, they sort of they become revealed when you read a story like that. That's why over the last few weeks, I don't even know how it's happened, but I've sort of lived into a new pattern uh, to my teaching. I'll say to you, let's walk through the story, and then we'll notice some things. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's just one of the things that's sort of evolved uh, during this whole thing. Uh, and so we're going to do that. We're going to walk through the story, and then we're going to notice some things. And then after we notice some things, I invite you to just sit wherever you are at the counter, at the table, on your couch, and just talk about the things that we notice together. Maybe there are some things that 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 you noticed that I didn't even bring up or maybe drop some comments below and we can have a conversation about it afterwards for maybe a half hour or so. How's that sound? All right, so here's, here's how the story goes. It was Sunday. It was during the afternoon of the first day of the resurrection. So Jesus was resurrected in the morning and now it's the afternoon. And these two followers of Jesus were on the road walking to a place called Emmaus talking about, talking about everything that had happened. I imagine it was Jesus crucified, dead, buried. They were talking about how some of the women went to the tomb and they found his body missing. And while they're talking about everything that had happened, the resurrected Jesus shows up and he starts walking along with them and they don't recognize that it's him. And then Jesus asked them a question. He's like, hey guys, what are you talking about? And then they're all like, 
Man, are you just a visitor to Jerusalem? Or have you been living under a rock for the past few days? And Jesus is like, not under a rock exactly, more like behind a stone. But we'll details later. What things? See, here's the deal. I don't even know if I can tell a joke anymore because I don't even know if you're going to laugh. I kind of feel like Jimmy Fallon at night. You watch him make a joke and then he doesn't even laugh or react. It feels really weird. I know how he feels, right? It's odd. So anyway, they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. (laughs) It's so funny and so great. They begin talking about Jesus to Jesus. They're like about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Now listen, they had seven miles to walk. That's not a little ways. That's quite a long ways. If you're walking a 15-minute mile, that's going to take you an hour and a half to two-ish hours. So I imagine that the conversation they had was a whole lot longer than what Luke has recorded here. So I imagine that they talked about how Jesus had seemed to be the one they were all waiting for. The Messiah, the Deliverer, the Anointed One, the Savior. He, he seemed to be so different than all of the others who claimed to be the one. Like he taught in such a way that large crowds gathered around him. There was something about the way he taught that just did that. There was something about the way he touched that brought healing. There was something about... There was something about the way he loved that, that allowed him to cross all sorts of boundaries to reach all kinds of people. When they were in his presence, he just seemed to have this, just seemed to have this special power about him. And it wasn't a, wasn't a forceful, domineering kind of power. It wasn't an in-your-face kind of a power. It wasn't a, a top-down kind of a power, but it was more of a, more of a gentle invitational kind of a power, almost, almost magnetic. Like you just had to be around this dude. You were, you were drawn to him. You, you couldn't help yourself. I imagine as they were talking to Jesus, they were, they were talking about how he was the kind of man who could do it. Like he could mobilize thousands if he wanted to, tens of thousands if he wanted to. Like, he could actually do it. He could take down the Roman Empire. He had that kind of charisma. They had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. But he didn't. Instead, he let himself get arrested. He let himself get killed. You know, love died that day. For these two followers of Jesus and for a whole bunch more like them, like, Hope died that day. And they're telling Jesus about all of this. And then they told him about how some of the women had amazed them. They had gone to the tomb and they had found it was empty. And then they talked about having visions of angels who said the most unbelievable thing. That that Jesus wasn't, his body wasn't just missing. That dude was alive. And then some of their companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said. It was empty, but they didn't find him. And then after hearing, hearing them describe all of this, Jesus says to them, why are you so foolish? Didn't you know that Christ had to suffer all these things? And then he gives them a theological lesson. He starts from, with Moses, with Torah, 
And he goes all the way through the prophets. He shows them in scripture. And I, I would love to know how he did that. I would love to know what that part of this conversation was like. I mean, did they talk for 45 minutes and then he talked for 45 minutes and led them? I don't, I don't have a clue. But finally they arrive in Emmaus and, and after Jesus pretends like, he pretends like he's moving on, which I think is hilarious. They invite him in for a bite to eat and it's only, it's only at the dinner table sharing a meal. It's only then that they recognize that it's him. It's only then that, that their eyes are opened and they're like, oh my goodness, that's Jesus. And then he's gone. Right? So that's it. That's the story. That's what we get. Now, let's just notice a few things. Okay? Did you notice how quiet this story really is? I mean, it's a seriously simple and unassuming story when you really think about it. I mean, here's an appearance of Jesus after the, resurrected, after the resurrection. We've got the resurrected Jesus. He makes an appearance, and there are only two people there to witness the whole thing. And let's be honest about something here. This isn't at all what we want from Jesus. This isn't at all how we'd expect things to go. Now, I realize that this is about to become dangerous territory for me, but I'm fine with it. We're all good. We're all, we're all friends here. Just go with me. If I were the resurrected Jesus, I know it sounds dangerous, but if I were the resurrected Jesus, like I got to tell you, I would have done some things. Like if I had suffered a torturous, unjust death, like, I probably would have come back with a vengeance. Like, I would have let the whole world know about it. I would have probably tried my best to, to prove my accusers and my killers. I'd have tried to prove them wrong. Like, I probably would have gone to the temple, and I'd have found some of the religious elite. I'd have found the members of the Sanhedrin. I'd have found the chief priests, and I'd have, I'd have stood before them, and I'd have said, How do you like me now? Huh? I'd have gone straight to Pilate's palace. I'd have gone straight there and they'd have let me in too because I'd be like, here, look, the scars, they're real. You got to let me in and see Pilate. I'd have stood before Pilate and I'd have stood before I looked him straight in the eye and been like, still undefeated. Bet you didn't see that coming. Now what you going to do? Like I would have been big. It would have been bold. It would have been really noisy. But Jesus didn't do any of that. No, instead... On the afternoon of the first resurrection day, the first Easter, Jesus goes for a walk. <laughs> That's what he does? Jesus just goes for a walk down what seems to be an out-of-the-way road. And then when he notices two of his followers walking along the path, he, he approaches them in such a way that they don't even recognize that it's him. At one point along the way, they say, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem all of Israel. See, they were looking for big. They were looking for bold. They were looking for decisive action. And here's Jesus just walking along, and they don't even recognize that it's him. That's interesting, isn't it? I think in some ways we feel like those two like those two guys walking along the road. Like, we want the, we want the presence of God to be, to be more dramatic. 
We want, the, we want the presence of the divine to be explosive. We want the presence of God to, to, be, to be more in your face. We want God to make a big show of it. We want, we want God to be more convincing so we could be like, yeah, that's it. I'm in. My faith means something. It all makes sense now. But more often than not, God seems to work in hidden ways. Doesn't he? Like, Underneath the surface, God seems to work subversively, like around the edges. And why does God do that? Well, who can say for sure? And I don't even know if this is the answer. But maybe it's part of it. Maybe God keeps himself hidden so that we human beings will we'll keep searching. We'll keep looking. We'll keep longing. Maybe, maybe God keeps himself hidden so that it keeps our attention. Have you been searching lately? Have you been looking lately? Have you been longing for the divine? I think we all have. I think, especially over the last six or so weeks during all of this COVID-19 thing, I think... I think we're all asking those questions. Where are you, God? Are you going to show up? What's going on? And we long for a, an experience of the divine just so that we, we can have some sense of comfort. It's a quiet thing underneath the surface. Here's the next thing I want us to notice. Jesus honors their freedom to just part ways with him. <laughs> it, like, in fact, the way that Luke tells the story, he makes it seem like Jesus is, is like pretending like he has somewhere else to be. Like he's like, thanks for the chat, guys. I'll let y'all get to it. Uh, I'm going to keep moving on. I mean, look at the way that Luke tells the story. He says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Isn't that interesting? Like it's almost as if he's baiting them to extend to him an invitation to stay with them. See, Jesus wasn't going to force things. Like he wasn't going to wasn't going to coerce them into a relationship with him. Like he intentionally put them in a position where they themselves had to be entirely intentional and decisive about whether or not they wanted to spend more time with him. Do they want him to stay? Do they, do they want to host this stranger? Do they want to invite him in? And I find that fascinating. But that just seems to be the way of Jesus. Like if you read the stories about him in the Bible, he never forced things with people. And I don't think that's the way God works. I don't, think, I don't think that's the way the divine works. He's not going to impose himself on us. He's, he's not going to coerce. He's not going to overpower. He's not going to force it. In fact, it seems as though he'll act as, as if he's moving on just to sort of give us enough space and enough time to, to figure out what we really want. Do we desire to go deeper? Do we really want to know who this stranger is? Do we really 
want this guest in our lives who turns out to be the presence of the divine? Do we really want this guest in our lives to to come in and become the host of our lives? Because that's what Jesus winds up doing. They invite him as a guest to stay, and then he's the one who's breaking the bread and giving it to them. Do we want to go deeper? I think Jesus gives us the space to sort of figure that out. Do you want to? Do you want him to stay? Yeah. Stay with us, they say. And I think that when they said that, when they offered that invitation, I'm, I'm guessing that he was, felt pretty good inside. That I'm guessing he was smiling inside because that, I think that's what he wanted all along. He wanted to be with them. But he honored their freedom to invite him in. I like that. So so stay with us, Jesus. Just stay with us. We want you with us. Okay. Just one more thing to notice. It seems to be the little things that finally reveal the presence of Jesus. It seems to be the little things that the divine can be seen and experienced. It's just the small things. I mean, just look at how the story goes. Once they were all seated around the table, Jesus took bread, gave thanks for it, broke it, and began to give it to them. And it's in that moment, in those small little actions, that their eyes were opened and they recognized that it was Jesus all along. It's the little things. It's a little loaf of bread. Maybe they had a a little glass of wine there to share, a shared table, a shared meal. I think this story is trying to tell us that in the small little ordinary things in our lives, those little things have the power to reveal the divine. If we're watching, if we're looking, if we're paying attention, God is actually present in the everyday rhythms of our humdrum, ordinary little lives. But you know what that means? I mean, this is really an extraordinary thing if you actually think about it. It means that the presence of God is in that text you sent to your friend who lives all alone during this whole quarantine business. It means that that God is present in those Zoom calls you have with your family or with that group of friends, that feeling that you get during those Zoom calls, that's the presence of the divine. It, It means that God is made known to us and for us around our tables as we sit and and eat dinner together as families. It means, it means that God can be present while we're here and you're wherever it is you are and we're all worshiping together over Facebook Live. How weird is that? It means, it means that God can be present in the comments below before we even started, during, even right now and, and afterwards. The divine is in the conversation you have with your children as you're off riding bikes together. God is there. The divine is there when you bring a plate of cookies or cupcakes or muffins or goodies and you drop them on your neighbor's doorstep and ring the doorbell and run. 
God is there. God is there actively present as you try your best to to figure out how do you give your kids a, a school environment while you're all stuck inside at home. I think this story is trying to tell us that that wherever and whenever we actually make room, well, Jesus will show up. In fact, the divine is already there. Oh, so good. So these two followers of Jesus, they're on, they're on the road to Emmaus. They're on the road headed somewhere. Like all of us, we're all on the road headed somewhere. And I wonder if on this road where we're all headed, wherever it is we're going, I wonder if, I wonder if Jesus is there and he's been there all along and we just haven't, re- we just haven't recognized him. Right? Because often we're looking for big, bold, decisive action. We're, we're looking for God to make a big show of it. So we'd be like, oh yeah, God is with me. But God isn't going to force it. God isn't going to coerce a relationship out of us. He's going to give us time and space. Are we looking? Are we inviting him to stay? And maybe, maybe now, now that we understand that it's the little things that can actually reveal the divine, maybe as we move forward on this path, wherever it is we're all headed, maybe we'll all pay a little bit more attention and recognize that, oh my goodness, it's in these small little things that the divine makes himself known. I sure hope so. That's all I got. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the ways in which you show up, the ways in which you, you speak to us in it and through it. And we ask, oh God, that, that we would just be attentive to your presence, that you, would, that you would make yourself known, even if it's in just the little ways. I mean, we want you to stay with us. We want to be with you. We want to know you. We, want, we really do. We want to go deeper. So God, we ask that, that we would walk around in this world with watchful eyes and, and open hearts, and that we would recognize you just a little bit more often. Thank you, God. We want you to know that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.